Welcome to Simple Kicking, the show by special teams for special teams. Simple Kicking provides football's latest special teams news, insights, and interviews with kickers, coaches, recruiters, and agents to give players the best chance of success on their career path. And now, your host, former Division I kicker for LSU and Rice University, James Harrison. Today is the 9th of January, 2022. Today features the very first special teams roundtable during the AFCA right here in San Antonio, Texas. But before we get into it, let's talk about Big Game USA. Kickers who play with this ball make more kicks than those who don't because the sweet spot is more kicker-friendly. To receive 10% off your order, go to BigGameUSA.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click Kicker Footballs. Enter the promo code SIMPLEKICK2021 to receive 10% off your order. Like, and you have to do something to change the path of their minds on, flip it, get them to think about something completely different. So then that way their natural athletic ability just takes over. You know, he's quiet. I don't know. I can't really tell if that's, you know, uh, him being scared. And he said, no, coach, that's quiet confidence. He's a stone cold killer. Like that's the type of quality I look for in a, in a special, specifically a kicker. Guys that have done it in games too, obviously like, I know one of the questions was, does it matter if you get six kicks versus 24 on a year? Well, you know, every high school program is different, and so it's going to be hard always to, to judge one player versus another. But did he have opportunities to go out and make big-time kicks, game-tying kicks? I almost value game-tying kicks more than game-winning kicks because they keep you in the game. They keep giving you a chance, right? You can miss a game-winning kick and continue to play and have a chance to win later on. But a game-tying kick, you need that to stay alive, right? It's- so my favorite part about this roundtable was that it oozed gold and stories from real life experiences. So if you're a high school kicker that wants to get a college scholarship, listen to the stories, listen to the advice, because it will be an asset to you as you are going through the recruiting phase. Lee, hit the theme. Welcome to Simple Kicking with your host, James Harrison. First one is Drew Meyer. Drew is a uh, special teams analyst at uh, UVA, and it looks like he's going to stay at UVA until one of you guys tries to hire him, probably. (laughs) Uh, Drew and I have known each other for a decade. We went to kicking camps together. He was a punter at Wisconsin. Uh, After he got done playing, you stopped at your high school, I think, for a little bit. And then uh, you were a GA for a couple years and then got upgraded to uh, analyst. And then you got Brett. Brett, how do you say your last name? Arkelian. Okay, and if you can't say it, you just call him Iceman. Uh, he's Iceman Kicking. Uh, he's written a, written a book called uh, The Kicker's Bible. He brought a couple copies. He's going to auction them off uh, later. Um, no, but, but Brett was at Marshall and, and at Rice, and uh, he's just he loves kicking. And uh, that's, that's what I gathered from his bio. And then you've got Louis. Louis, how do you like to say your last name? And then you can grab that mic and uh, bring it towards you. Matt Sackis. Matt Sackis. Uh, and so Louis was a kicker himself at Emporia State, right? And, that, and that's in Kansas. Yeah. Division II school in Kansas. And he's now uh, he's been a special teams coordinator at Youngstown State. He's been coaching for a long, long time. Um, and I'll talk about these. I want you guys to talk about the notable specialists instead of me bringing up. But Lou is just a just a fantastic guy. He's made rounds at Kansas. Um, and we'll probably hear more about their stories. 
but just wanted to go ahead and open this thing up with uh, the first question. Um, how do you guys structure, and it can go to anybody who wants to start, how do you structure an in-season uh, kicking workout or script? And by the way, kicking and punting, synonymous if you want to you know, be more specific. Whoever wants to go first, I'll give you about two minutes and then we'll, we'll pass it on. I guess I'll start, we'll go down the line. Uh, so for us, our head coach typically gave us about 12 reps on, on punt, punt return, um, six reps, kickoff, kickoff return. So we were pretty limited there with, so you know, most of the time we cut to nine too, if we weren't super quick um, to get lined up and things like that. So we'd get about six reps with the starters. And so, um, you know, variation, we do some rollout rugby type stuff, um, some straight typical red, blue, um, right and left directional punting. Um, so try to have a variation of that. For our guys, I would try to also stick to more of the directional on the first set of punts and then go to some of the rugby on the second set. So we're not necessarily going back and forth between directional and rugby, back to directional um, just for those guys as the, the leg swing is a little bit different um, for us and how we taught that um, just to kind of help them have success there. Yeah, thanks James for having us here. It's pretty cool to be hanging out with you guys in person, not on Zoom during COVID here. But uh, I want to talk about how we structured for our specialists specifically. I kind of made a template of how I work with our guys, all right? So periods one through six, on a normal day, for, to make things easy, we'll say special teams period is 12 and 13, and then 22 and 23 will be with the team, right? So periods one through six, I'd have my guys do some type of warm-ups, dry runs, and bands exercises. And a lot of that is cool uh, being at Rice. Some of you guys were in there. Uh, you know, listen to Coach Tarmadol, uh, for example, for punters, right? Like they get get on the jugs and we did that at Rice too, you know, 100 reps every day because um, it's so important that, you know, the fastest way to speed up a punter in his hands is getting him on a jugs machine and getting him more consistent um, catching the ball, you know? So doing some type of warmth for uh, kickers, that's doing dry runs, doing contact drills, right? Maybe putting them up, up against a... Uh, you know, a goal post and a pad and making sure he feels that feeling of contact, all right, with his kicking foot, how it should be locked out on contact, doing no steps, one steps, um, and then bands exercises. I always talk about and have a little excerpt of that, talking about when you make contact with the ball, you either have a pool noodle or a sledgehammer, right? What do you want your ankle to be locked out like on contact? So I think it's really important for specialists, kickers and punters to strengthen uh, their ankles, doing different, a lot of band exercises that you do when you sprain your ankle, right? You're trying to strengthen your ankle in all different directions. So from that, we'll go to fundamentals from period seven to 11, which is whatever one, uh, drill they want to work on, right? Maybe do some situational stuff, uh, could vary. For snappers, we have them work on slow motion snaps, the first, you know, one through six periods, right? And then uh, different variations of stuff they want to do uh, off of that. And then you'll have your special teams period. I think it's very important to have guys, um, you know, work with their team to gain respect, right. To be around them. Um, even if it's just serving as scouts in the special teams drill. Uh, and then from periods 14 through 21, we'll do some type of fundamentals, uh, some physical training, some core, uh, and then, uh, situational kicks. So, uh, my favorite thing to do, and I working with collaborating with Shane Graham, which a lot of you guys know, putting them in different situations, even if you're not hitting the ball, uh, but putting them in situations they might face uh, throughout a season, um, giving them, uh, you know, 
uh, time and field position and maybe having them hit six reps of that and then going through walking through a lot of different weird situations that might come up and then you have your special teams period uh and then like a team field goal is what we normally do yeah i mean basically for us we do we break it down preseason in season. we break it down preseason in season and bowl prep and have different phases where we're just basically trying to build the capacity of the kicker and the punter and the snappers where, you know, the first week of fall camp, I mean, whatever they did on Monday, they got to do more reps on Tuesday, more reps on Wednesday. And they hate us because they got to kick every day. Like, Why don't we ever get a day off? I'm like, well, you will. Um, but they basically have to increase their capacity because I've found every year is what ends up happening is they lose power they lose stuff during the season as the season goes for whatever reason they're not lifting they're not running they're not kicking as much because you're trying to save them so we tried to really build capacity during fall camp so they kick every day except for the days we don't practice and now it's easy because you have to give them so many days off a week and the rules yeah. so that when we're out there we kick and then whatever they get week one they got to get more than that week two and then just continue to build their capacity during fall camp because in season, they, the starters only do reps three days a week. So we do a lot with sports science, with catapult and all the different stuff that they do with load and all that. So they literally, Mondays, they run, they lift, and that's about it. Tuesday, we'll do punt, field goal, kickoff, and they'll get limited reps. Wednesdays, there will be their recovery day, so they may do a pool workout. They may do stuff with the trainers, all that kind of stuff. There's recovery. Thursday, they'll kick again. Friday, do specialty stuff, onside kicks, um, random stuff the day before the game, and then play on Saturday, Sunday's off, and repeat. So they don't get – the starters don't get nearly as many reps because we want them to be fresh, beat 100% come Saturday. So we try to really limit in-season. You and bring, then cold preps the same. Yeah, no, well, you bring up an interesting point that, I mean, doesn't it get colder towards the end of the season? And what happens to the ball when it gets colder? It's, it's, it constricts. I mean, um, I remember one time playing at Alabama. Uh, we, they pumped the balls up in Baton Rouge, but there was a cold front in Alabama, and it was a 20-degree difference. And the ball that I had at a kickoff was not – you know, as plump as it is now. So um, that kind of brings up the next question. You got three different, uh, we talked really about fall camp and we talked about um, bowl prep in season. What about the off season? How's it different? Yeah, so our off season. So how I kind of frame it to our guys is the winter time is your time to get bigger, stronger, faster, you know, be in the weight room, be invested in the weight room. Um, if you guys want to kick twice a week, you know, you guys are on your own to do that in the evenings. You know, Tuesdays and Thursdays, our guys typically go. Um, but that time, the focus is on changing your body. For our long snappers, a lot of them, it's about being able to get down the field and cover. Um, and so making sure that the emphasis is where it needs to be. So for me, the winners, change your body, prepare yourself for spring ball. Now, spring ball for me is a little different. I know some coaching staffs, and when I was a player, you know, some staffs were like, anytime you're in the team environment, it's compete, compete, compete. And I agree with that. But there also has to be an element in a time where you're in a team setting and you're not afraid to work on your technique to try something new you've been working on throughout that winter when you're kicking on your own. Because the last thing you want to do is to just do the same thing you've always done all the time if it's not working. And so there needs to be a time where you can have 
some growth, some development, while also being in that team setting and having a little bit of pressure, a little bit of a competitive edge um, in that spring ball. So for us, I always tell our guys, I said, don't be afraid to miss a kick in spring ball. Now, obviously, you want to compete, you want to do well, and you want to strive for greatness. But in spring ball, now's your time to change. If you're working on going from a jab two to get down to a two-step and try that out, or if it's something kickoff-wise, you're trying new kickoff steps, spring ball is a great time to do that. As long as they know that I know and I'm communicating with our coordinator, hey, like the guy might not make all of his kicks today, and that's not always a bad thing, you know, if he's working on a new technique. Failure is a part of growth. And so understanding that failure is a part of growth, that's not going to set them back then when they miss a kick and they're all disappointed. Well, shoot, if you're doing something new you've never done before, it might not go well the first time. Um, and so for spring ball, I really view that as a time to be in a team setting, to have a little bit more pressure, but to also be able to work on new techniques that they might be trying to use to get better. Um, and it's also kind of a test run because if they do something and they say, hey, that's not working, great. Then we know how to, you know, not to do that moving forward. Um, and then for us in the summertime too, it's about then refining those techniques, refining what we learned in spring ball, um, building the capacity as what was mentioned before, and then getting into um, fall camp and getting into the season. And once we get into the season, for me, it's about keeping the guys fresh, keeping them quick, um, keeping them strong, explosive, um, trying to manage their bodies in that way. Yeah, it's really what Drew said. Like, I agree with a lot that in the offseason, like, this is your time to strengthen, right, to get ready, maybe to do some things different that you normally do. I, I think it's really important for my guys, for us at VT, to have a plan, you know. So, again, working with Dave, um, to kind of scope a plan of what he used and what he used with his son, Luke, who punts at UCLA. Um, you know, I think it's good to take a break after the season, let your body rest and reset. Um, but some a, a plan that we give our guys is having things you would do uh, certain days of the week. So, for example, five days a week, all right, I'm telling my guys they need to stretch, all right, full body stretch, whether it's getting out of the shower in the morning or at night. Um, taking your steps for field goal kickers, and this is dry runs, making sure they have that 90 degree angle from both hashes. I mean, so many times you'll see a right-footed kicker, right, who's taking the steps back and over, and instead of keeping that 90 degree angle, he cuts it straight across. And those few inches can change where that plant foot is and where the connection is with the ball, right? So making sure they take steps, maybe 10 steps from each hash down the middle. Uh, punters working their steps, right? The shorter, the better, like Coach Tomardall was saying yesterday. So if we can get consistent at you know four yards or three and a half yards repping dry runs and their steps in the off season that's huge and i think core work at least five to 15 minutes a, a day five days a week in the off season is huge if you watch nfl punters and kickers and their fall through right they're never falling back they're falling through directly at their target so working that is very important i think four days a week these specialists need to be doing some type of running program whether it's elevated surface training right they're running up hills uh, you know, doing broad jumps upstairs. Uh, I used to do one-legged hops, you know, from, from the bench down to the, the stairs and back again, some type of uh, working on their explosiveness uh, in the off-season. Um, you know, glute and hip work. Like, if your guys are only doing squats and power cleans, they're getting strong straight up and down, right? But they're going to hit a plateau eventually. Uh, so working your body in different directions, whether it's laterally to the left, to the right, uh, to the back and P90X is really good for that working your body in different directions, right? You're going to, uh, your plateau or your strength is going to go that much higher because you're doing these different workouts and working your body in a different direction. All right. And then three days a week, we have our guys do uh, balanced swings. We talk about proprioception with our guys. That's defined as the body's uh, ability to sense movement, uh, action, and location. 
So we have our guys, our kickers stand on their, their plant leg, right? And in slow motion, do a slow motion swing, all right? And what they're focusing on is what muscle is controlling what. So with, you know, during the season, I have a problem with pushing the ball to the right or, you know, not finishing and falling through my hips. Well, I've worked on proprioception. I understand what muscle controls what, and I can correct that uh, in the moment. Uh, punters, the same thing, all right? Doing, um, you know, their leg swing and understanding that set, knee yourself in the chest and then snap upward and how that leg swing is supposed to look, how linear it's supposed to stay. Remember what you do to one side, you have to do the other. So working it, you know, on both sides, that way you don't have a muscular uh, balance or imbalance, right? And then one day a week, I think even in the off season, it's really important for our guys to do yoga, you know, working flexibility. Matt Moran, who was at, uh, who's at Stanford and he was at that Rice uh, meeting yesterday, it was cool to listen to him talk about uh, range of motion, right? And, you know, the farther you can fall through, like for a pitcher at his target, right, or the farther a kicker can remain balanced and fall through at his target, okay, the more power and the more consistent and accurate he'll be. So I believe that range of motion and flexibility is huge for our specialists. Um, for us, basically in the off season, we tell them that's the time to work on your mind, your flexibility, your strength, and be a team member. Because I know when I played, I always felt like I wasn't part of the team because you're always by yourself in the stadium or by yourself on the practice field. And that, so we lift, the snappers lift with the linebackers, the specialists lift with the DB, the kickers, punters, stuff. they lift with the DBs. And literally, they don't touch a ball until about two weeks before um, spring ball. Um, they just, all their focus is on being a member of the team, being with the stations that we do in the mornings being in the weight room with the guys and just being a team member um working with sports psychologists working the mental side of it doing stuff like that working on flexibility uh your core all that kind of stuff and knowing that your body is going to change i mean they're going to get bigger they're going to get more flexible so in tune your technique's going to change so that way we don't put too much pressure on them during january and february and them getting hurt they don't worry about kicking they know spring ball starts on this date all right two days before i'll go out start doing one steps start doing snaps from my knees start to get loose get back into the flow knowing we go every other day it's not as stressful as the season and there is some forgiveness of missing kicks, having an occasional bad snap in spring. And they have time to ultimately understand how their body changed during the winter when they did get bigger, faster, stronger, more flexible, and how they have to adjust their technique throughout spring to do so. So like in the off season, when does the, do the guys play golf? I mean, what do they do off the field? Do y'all have any recommendations for that? Like, what do you wanna do for fun guys to get better? Yeah, meeting with sports psychologists is huge for me. That's one thing I always promote to our guys. Um, I'm huge on the mental side of game. Um, that's something that I know really helped me adapt and change between my junior and senior year. Um, Dr. Rick McGuire, he was a sports psychologist. He used to work with the University of Missouri. He was also their head track coach for a while too. And um, I got into his book. He's got a great book called From the Whistle to the Snap. And it's all about the mental side of football and how to understand that that's the most important part of the game you know the body will take over it'll execute when it needs to execute but to make sure that you know the correct information you need to going in you know what's the call what are the wind conditions where's my aiming point 
focusing on all the little things that are the controllables, right? Control the controllables, give yourself the best chance to have success when just in, even in your alignment. And so understanding that. So for our guys, I'm big on books, you know, giving book recommendations. Um, the Inner Game of Golf is another one we read um, and had the guys read. And so just understanding that there's different philosophies out there. And so different things work for different guys, right? We're not all cookie cutter molds. Um, so one way of thinking about something might not be right for everyone in the room. And so having a different um, thought process maybe for each guy, but then also going through that thought process, writing it out, you know, documenting it, um, understanding what is going to be there for them when they need it, when the moment's biggest, right? When you got to go out and hit a game winner, it's nice to already have a plan to understand exactly what your cues are, what your process is, rather than all of a sudden being thrown in on the spot and trying to execute. Can like high school guys, Brett, replicate any of this stuff? Or is this only th stuff that you get to have a experience with in college? Yeah, I think anyone, right, that they have a plan of what they want to do and uh, what's important to themselves. Like, yeah, you can do a lot of this stuff on your own. I mean, for me personally, like, I had to teach myself a lot of this. I didn't know all of this when I was playing, right? But just being able to go on YouTube and look up a 45-minute yoga exercise, right, for my hips and glutes or, uh, you know, different P90X workouts. Like, a lot of the stuff you can do on your own, you know? It's just being being original and uh, looking that stuff up. I, I think that's good. Drew hit on a point, too, like keeping track. I mean, I hit on a lot of stuff I would have my guys do in the offseason, but um, keeping notes, right? Uh, for every kick, I remember Chandler Catanzaro, uh, who kicked at Auburn, I believe, kept uh, a journal, right, of every day of, you know, how he felt when he hit this ball and, you know, some common errors. I always, for me, try to teach myself coaching points and common errors. So after a good day, I'll list what I felt like I did well. What was my mental cue? What was I thinking of that day? Ankle locked, wide plant, right? Uh, and then on a day where I was struggling, what was my common error and how did I go and fix it? But yeah, I think a lot of this stuff, uh, just making a plan, having a plan for yourself and a schedule for yourself is going to help you and your specialists do a lot better when the season rolls around. Yeah, I mean, I think for high school guys, it's it's probably easier because, <laughs> I mean, there's more stuff they can do. They're not constricted to 20 hours a week and taking classes and all the stress of college. And I know, like, my brother's a high school coach in New Jersey, and he sends his guys to certain – uh, yoga people, different strength trainers, different, uh, they actually have the opportunity to train with different people, uh, you know, sending them to a snapping guy, sending them to a kicking guy, sending them to all this stuff where our guys, it's harder for them to do stuff like that. Um, you know, and I just think the biggest thing is, and especially in high school, like I told my brothers, don't, don't make them feel like outcasts. That's the heart. You know, you may have a kicker who happens to play soccer and the only time he shows up is, you know, for the Thursday walkthrough, then he's there Friday night lights, you know, make him part of the team, have the guy come over um, on a Sunday when he's not doing another sport, or if he is just a kicker, make him chart, make him hold sticks, make him go, bring him be the quarter, be the shotgun snapper for seven on seven, like just finding ways to get those kids involved and ultimately having a plan of, what they're because they don't know so just having a plan of okay on monday you're going to do this for so many reps on tuesday you're going to do this on wednesday you know what you're going to we'll give you a little day off but you're going to go help and you're going to be the um center for seven on seven and throw shotgun snaps if you're the long snapper you know or punters may have to we need you to chart uh blitzes for the defense go help the defensive guys and a variety of things and just 
you know, continually have a plan for them and understand how to handle them. Because I think it's the biggest thing that most coaches don't understand how to handle a specialist. They're different. I mean, you could say they're not, they're players, but they are different. And if you have a offensive tackle that misses, you know, a slide block and the three tech comes up, blast the quarterback, there's a certain way you can address him. You can't do that the same way to a kicker if a kicker was supposed to kick deep left and the ball went in the middle of the field and the guy happened to, you know, it, it, you can't just lay into the kick because he's shot, he's done, might as well put the back up in, he's never going to recover. Most guys. Some guys are mentally tough enough to handle it. Um, but I think that's the other thing is just understanding how to handle the guys and being able to correct them in a way talk to them it may be different than you talk to like i said a running back in a line a linebacker and you know it's more of being a caddy right so to speak well are there any are there any any stories of that that you guys have in mind where it's like there's a eric raisbeck was one of the guys that was going to be up here but he couldn't make it tonight like he told a story about dom Everly. You know, he said, look, Dom made the kick, but I know I said the appropriate thing after he missed that kick in the third quarter. And he said to him, Dom, this is going to come down to a field goal. That's all he said. And Dom got his mind right. Do you all have any kind of stories where handling a kicker went well or maybe not so well and you learn from it? Well, I think personally, like the biggest thing for me is I always ask them for their feedback first. Because I know when I was playing, I knew what went wrong when I missed a punt. And, you know, the crowd will let you know, too, when you shake it off that you, once you did wrong, <laughs> that it wasn't good. And so when you're jogging off the field, I remember when I was playing, one of my coaches, we were playing in Maryland, and it was my senior year. And it was one of those games where one punt was good, then the next one was bad. And it was just I was really inconsistent and frustrated about that. And I remember that after one of them, I came off the field and he started yelling. He's like, what was he thinking? You know, instead of just asking me, hey, what were you thinking? Because clearly, like, I didn't want to shank the punt. Clearly, I wasn't trying to do that. I was trying to execute and hit the ball. I needed to help our team. Um, and so I always think about that as a player now is just asking them, saying, hey, what did you feel? Give me your feedback first. Most of the time, it always aligns. And I don't need to sound like the genius and the dictator that's telling you, hey, your drop is outside. When they can tell me, hey, coach, my drop was outside. Now I know and I'm, that I need to, you know, get it in line. And, and you can self-correct and help the athlete and empower the athlete. When they already know most of the time, you know, we have guys in this room that are great coaches and that have trained these guys, whether at the high school level, whether, you know, privately or when they're at college. Most of these guys know what they're doing and know if they screwed up and what they did wrong. And so just helping ask them so that then you know that they know rather than you projecting on them, um, letting them be the one to answer the question to self-correct. I think that's really helped me. And one specific story, I wasn't, this isn't personal, but when I was in high school, I remember watching, uh, there was a Georgia game and Mark Richt you know, their kicker, they tried to ice the kicker. He came off the field. Mark Rick went over, talked to him. Kid went out and made the game winner. And the sideline reporter asked him, she said, hey, what did you tell him? Because typically, you know, you leave the kicker alone. You let him kind of do his thing. And he said, I told him I love him. He's like, I told him to make or miss the kick. He's a part of our program. I care about him as a person. And then no matter what happens, I still am going to love him. And the kid went out and drilled it. And I always took that and try to take that into my coaching because that really that meant a lot to me as a person that, yeah, you know, not every time it's not going to work out that way. You might tell a kid you love him and you might go and miss it. <laughs> but at the same point, he knows that he has value as a person and that's going to help increase his odds of making the kick, at least in my opinion. And real quick, we have a, we had a later rival got lost. This is Grant Kersner. He's a special teams analyst at Mizzou. And, um, yeah, what we're talking about is stories on when it worked your coaching worked for your kicker. 
and uh, instead of a meltdown. Brett? Yeah, I mean, my guys like to joke around, or our guys at VT like to joke around, and because after every kick, you know, I'll be in their ear saying, hey, what'd you feel on that? So they'll joke around, they'll be eating granola bars, and they'll be like, hey, uh, Romo, what'd you feel on that when you ate that granola bar? But it's, yeah, it is really what Drew's saying is like, you know, knowing, I mean, my biggest thing is like meeting with them in the offseason, getting to know how do they like to be coached, right? Do they like to be coached hard or, you know, like with Oscar Shadley, our long snapper, I could get after his ass and, you know, really, you know, let him have it. He knows what the expectation is. You know, he knows how he should be snapping. Obviously, working with Coach Rubio, he's pretty dang good snapper. But, um, you know, or other guys, yeah, I mean, in a, in a field goal kickers, you know, you might have to have a different approach. The one thing, I don't remember if it was, I think it was Pete Carroll, uh, but it was, you know, something that uh, I'd overheard is, uh, is, you know, at the last second field goal, he went to his kicker and he started joking around asking him, like, what golf course he was going to go to the next day after he hit this game winner, what they were going to go drink at the bars after this next kick, you know, so some, for some kickers that works, keeping it light like that. I don't have a whole lot of uh, expertise on that. I'll pass that to you, coach. Um, I actually had a kid at Kansas. He was a walk-on uh, from Detroit, Michigan, uh, Matt Wyman. Spaz, like we cut him twice. He kept coming back trying. I mean, literally it was like, he came out for spring. We cut him cause he wasn't very good. Um, went through the season. He came out the next spring. And I was like, you know what? You're raw. You're like, okay, fine. We'll keep you. And he ended up winning the starting job. Um, but I'll never forget we're playing, um, I almost say it was like Louisiana Tech or it was a non-conference game. We drive down and we're in a position to kick a 54, 52-yard field goal to win the game. And they called a timeout to ice him. And you could just see it in his eyes. Like, I'm like, this is where we're going to miss it. Like, there's no shot. And then he went back out, and then I walk up, and our head coach was Charlie Weiss. I tap him and say, Coach, call a timeout. He's like, what? I'm not icing my own kid. I go, Coach, call a timeout, please. He called a timeout. We came over, and I was like, hey, Matt, did you ever make a 50-some-yard field goal in high school? He's like, no, Coach, biggest one I ever made is 49. I go, oh, great. You're going to go out there, and you're going to nail this 52, and you see, like, all these girls in the stands? They're going to love you for it. <laughs> and he went out, freaking piped it right down the – like, I just got his mind off of it. Like, it, like, you just tell with some kids, like, there's no shot this guy's making this kick. Like, and you have to do something to change the path of their minds on, flip it, get them to think about something completely different. So then that way their natural athletic ability just takes over. And it worked. And, you know, and back in, uh, I think it was 07 season, we went out and I used our – punter was our holder and i used to tell him hey whenever we go for a field goal just say a joke because our kicker was really good when i was in kansas really good kid did a phenomenal job but he was like so tight and he would go out he'd be like he'd work a spot he'd go hey why'd the chicken cross the road and the guy's like what he's like what and he just like would try to get him to like laugh get him to break it so that way he could just relax before each kick and just understanding how to deal, you know, what kids take. And then there's other guys when I was Texas Tech, I had a kid and that never, like you had to freaking rip him. So he was coming out and you, he was like a linebacker. You grab him by the face mask and you, you don't make this kick freaking run like, it <laughs> was like a meathead run out on the field and he'd do well. So, I mean, I think just understanding how they react to certain situations. 
Well, Grant, um, you've had some good kickers. Yeah. Why is that? What, what did those guys have in common either at apps? So his uh, Grant's background, he was, he stopped at app state and then he's been at Mizzou for the last couple of years. Yeah. So the first guy I worked with Chandler Staden at app state, um, he was a walk on from Gainesville, Georgia. He was a super, he was kind of, he was a country guy. So kicking was kind of just a normal, the kind of a side thing he did and then in high school saw his film he was really good and i said this guy has a shot to be a really good kicker and he got here we had zach maddox at the time and he was really good he was an elite kicker for us and then bentley critcher our punter turned into being our kicker for the following year and then chandler staten got his shot towards the end of the 2016 year and he was a guy that would if something went wrong he's like oh it was my steps I got to change my steps. He was a guy that always tweaked something, and if it if he tweaked it and it worked, he would do that for the rest of the week. And then if it didn't work, then he'd go back to what he did originally. So, and then like a guy like Harrison Mavis, who's really good, he's just naturally gifted as a kicker, and he is in his own world. He blacks out during his kicks. He doesn't remember anything that happens. He's just in the zone, like like I'll be just like you just leave him alone. And you just stand next to him and you ask him a question like, oh, if it was a, you know, if he towed it, like, hey, do you think you towed it? And then he would kind of just talk to you while talking to himself, kind of just getting it out, letting himself know what he needs to correct. And other than that, it's his natural ability for these guys, uh, for the two guys that I've coached. Um, you know, both of them have been laid back, you know, referencing, making jokes. You know, I was a kicker that, I love like when I was in high school, my coach that was a uh, defensive lineman, but could also punt the shit out of the ball for some reason. Like he, uh, he was a punter in high school just because that's how the, he was from a small school in the, in the keys. And he said on the sideline during games, just randomly would ask me, Hey, what'd you have for dinner last night? And then I just, I didn't even know what I had for dinner. I just completely stop thinking of everything go back out and then everything else felt more natural because a lot of these guys get in their heads they start they think about their technique all the time so by the time it gets to the game or when they need to perform they already know it and they can do it naturally just get it off their mind and then there are some guys that love to think about it and are very zoned in like harrison he knows what he needs to do just kind of help him do it himself you don't need a whole lot of coaching or anything like that. It's just a lot of these guys are different, but similar in their own way. So this kind of gets me to another topic. Are these attributes that y'all are talking about something that you identify in recruiting? And if so, how? And if not, why is that not the case that this kind of stuff doesn't come up? Whoever wants to open that doesn't matter. Um, okay. I, I think you can 100%. Um, I think you do it in camps. So guys that we're trying to recruit, we get them to come to our specialist camp in June and you run them through the rigor, you do different things and you walk up to the guy, okay, you know, okay, these are guys potentially just on athletic bill. They could, okay, they're an SEC snapper, they're a SEC kicker, punter, whatever. And then when something goes wrong, you just walk up and ask them, what'd you do there? And see how they answer the question. They're like, I don't know, I just missed a kick. 
all right, well, I don't want that kid because he has no clue what's going on. And then you go up to other guys, what happened? Oh, well, you know, I didn't have my, my hips were pointed wrong. This happened here. I towed the ball on this. I did that. Okay, well, he has some sort of concept of what's going on and what he can do. And, you know, and I think you just through the course of your summer camp and evaluating them and getting your hands on the guys, you can take them through stuff. Um, like I know like the biggest thing we do and I freaking love it one for the snappers they freaking usually hate me for doing it at camp every high school kid um, <laughs> but we'll do is uh, we do um, what we call it tour the last second field goal so we'll partner a snapper with a kicker and usually our guys our specialists help run the camp and they get to work the camp so I'm like okay to make it fair you actually hold for us so you're going to hold for this kid and they sprint and we're like, okay, you got 10 seconds, go. We play simulated crowd music in the stadium. They're in the stadium and we're running down. Everybody that's not there surrounds them in like a 30, like 20 yard little circle. And they're screaming, they're going nuts. And we're going 10, nine, eight, and they're running out and they got to kick a field goal. We make it harder. So they got to go the opposite hash. So, and they kick it. And if they make it, they stay, you miss, go shag balls. And it doesn't matter. And sometimes it may be the snap might have been a little bit off or the kicker, you know, towed the ball, did whatever, but just getting them in that thing to see how they handle that pressure. And you'll notice, I mean, we've had some guys that you could, they make excuses and I hate, I hate guys that make excuses. That's like the biggest pet peeve of mine. And they'll be like, oh, you know, if I would have had my snapper and my holder, I would have made that kick. Well, your snapper, your holder are coming to the university of Kentucky. So you got to learn to deal with it. And, you know, or, hey, that's my bad. I messed up. And, like, even though you know, well, the holder just screwed that. He missed the spot bad. But the kicker takes the blame for the guy. So, you know, like, you could just tell how that happened. And I think you can see a lot in kids putting them in situations in our camps. Because I think that's where the camps we do are different than the camps that are run by the other guy. You know, like the camp people that have thousands of guys and whatever – you know, we don't have, like, we don't spend a lot of time maybe early teaching technique, teaching fundamentals. It's more of compete. Will they compete? Are they going to compete? Are they going to try to make excuses? What's their mental makeup in pressure situations? And I think you can find that a lot, with, like, like in the summer camps. And if a kid won't come to our camp, then we won't recruit them. Yeah, I think the, the most interesting aspect to me in recruiting is, is their personality. And, like, you're always going to get, especially at a Power 5 school, you're going to get guys who are hitting kickoffs 75 deep, right, on a good day, 4.0 hang time. But, like, you know, talking to their head coaches, talking to their, uh, you know, kicking coaches, like, what are the qualities that you look for a coach? Well, the qualities you look for is a guy who's confident, who's aggressive, right, and who's competitive. I want to see that this guy set records scoring goals in soccer, that he plays multiple sports and that he's, you know, it doesn't it, – it doesn't always have to be that loud leader, right, rah-rah, which I know is one of your questions talking about. You know, a lot of times with specialists, you want to see them lead by example and, you know, work their butts off. Um, that was kind of one of the cool things I found this year in recruiting is the guy that we ended up signing. He was quiet. And when I was talking to his, his coach, I said, Coach, is he meek? Like, is he, uh, you know, he's quiet. I don't know. I can't really tell if that's, you know, uh, him being scared. And he said, no, Coach, that's quiet confidence. He's a stone-cold killer. Like that's the type of quality I look for in a in a special specifically a kicker. Yeah, I definitely think being a multi sport athlete is a huge 
positive. I mean, you can see how they react in different situations. The guy we took this year had multiple walk-off home runs on the year for his baseball team, um, was extremely competitive, starts on his high school basketball team. And it's one of those where you want guys that want to win and guys that are winners, guys that have gone out to those other camps and won camps. Not a guy that just has done well, but a guy that's gone out and won, that wants to win, that cares about winning. Because um, if we don't win, we don't have jobs, you know, for all of us in this room, right? And so we want guys that want to win. And so finding guys that want to win, guys that come from programs that win, um, guys that have done it in games too. Obviously, like, I know one of the questions was, does it matter if you get six kicks versus 24 on a year? Well, you know, every high school program is different. And so it's going to be hard always to, to judge one player versus another. But did he have opportunities to go out and make big-time kicks, game-tying kicks? I almost value game-tying kicks more than game-winning kicks because they keep you in the game. They keep giving you a chance, right? You can miss a game-winning kick and continue to play and have a chance to win later on. But a game-tying kick, you need that to stay alive, right? And so have they been in those situations? Do they have exposure to those uh, situations? Do they have exposure in other sports? And can you count on them when the moment you know is at its biggest? Well, we're uh, kind of at that spot where I wanted to stop because we can't put all this in 30 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's too much. So I thought this would be a good place to kind of stop um, and kind of open it up for questions that any of you guys may have. Basically, I used to coach running backs. So I visited your situation. Um, and I found out, me personally, when I had to deal with another position, a um, couple things helped me. One is on the sidelines on games, I used to get, I used to have a spiral notebook and a pen, and I would tell the kid immediately, as soon as you kicked off, you punted, you did whatever, come to the sidelines, grab it, take notes, write down what you did. How did you feel? Why did you make the kick? Why did you miss the kick? Like just journal, put it right by the headset thing so they know where it is right by the kickoff tees, all of that. So then, for me, since I was an offensive coach, when the defense was on the field, I could go over, I grabbed it, I wrote it down, and I could read it, and then I could go talk to them. Um, you know, you're a DN's guy, so when the offense is on the field, after you made your adjustments, you can go. If it's a TV timeout, um, you know, or media timeouts and stuff like that, where you get the three-minute break, you can run over really quick, look at that journal, see where it is, or even if you have to at halftime. You know, just tell the kid, bring it in. And then you can go through, okay, here's your three punts, here's your two kicks or your snaps, whatever, and just give them a place because they're like goldfish. They'll forget. So if you have a thing for them to immediately come over and do it, um, it helped me when I was coaching running backs. You know, I thought that was like the greatest thing. The other thing is it blows my mind, but most kids don't have a plan. So like we went out and I remember I was vivid. I was my first year at Youngstown State. Our kid, I'm like, man, he had the worst game ever. Like it was freaking horrible. I'm like, we go to Penn State and it's just like, he was like kicking off all of fall camp, five deep. Now he's putting at the 10 and then I'm like, so we sit there the day after game. I'm like, dude, what the, like, it was like, you didn't even like warm up. Like you didn't do anything. What did you do during the game? He's like, oh, I was watching the game. And then when it was like, you didn't, like kicking the net you didn't like no i was like why not he's like i didn't know i had to like that was his answer because the kid was like he played they don't do that in high school he didn't he was a wide receiver in high school because he came from a small town who also punted also like and now he is a full-time spec like he didn't know that's what he, i'm like okay bud here we go so when the offense is on the field and you like literally go through and say okay once we you know get the ball 
go hit one ball, punt once in the net. All right, when it's third down, get another punt in the net. Like, go get the snapper and get a hold if you're a holder and just have a plan for them to do stuff on the sidelines because you'd be shocked how many kids either don't do anything or don't have, like, you're a kicker and they wait until the ball crosses the 50 and that's the first time they, oh, wait, but what happens if you hit an 80-yard run for a touchdown and now you're standing on the sidelines and you haven't done anything? And I just think educating them on what to do, have a plan, especially since you're coaching D-line or D-end, like you're not going to be watching them. Like if I was a full-time special teams guy and that's all I did, or like you can have someone babysit them on the sidelines if you have that, but depending on the level you're at, you don't have that. So you got to basically equip them to handle it on their own. Sure, and I think it's so important too, just like coaches saying to have a plan, like, yeah, visualization, right? I mean, I always told you guys once we cross the 50, right? I have them go and turn and look at the other goalposts. So it looks like it's that much farther away. So then when we get down on the plus 20, right? And going out for a field goal, that, that goalpost looks so much bigger coming out there. I always have my guys. I don't think they always, and again, this is whatever the, the specialist, what he feels is necessary. He doesn't have to kick it in the net, but doing dry run swings, right? And getting that motion uh, with his leg, so he feels comfortable when he does walk out there. I think it's always good, our specialists, whenever there's a timeout uh, going on the field, whether it was punt and Oscar which, uh, snap to Pete, they go on the field, right, slightly on the actual field so they could feel, you know, what the conditions are like during a timeout and, and work as a snap or two. Of course, always when we got in first and second time, when we got the ball, our punter and snapper would work together. So having a plan and, and rep, you know, repping on the sidelines before they go out there, field goal kickers working, you know, a few balls into the net. Once we cross the 50, being ready to go is so important. Yeah, similarly, having a plan. I know when I was playing, like I needed, when we were on offense on first down, my snapper and I would get a snap, we'd get another one on third down. Like, like certain ways of that was my way of checking in. if we get pick up a first down great let's go back we'll get one more snap um now my snapper didn't always like that sometimes because i was like hey I need, I need these reps and um but i also was one too that i couldn't stay locked in for the four and a half hours that we were out on the field you know but t- from the time you go out to warm up to the time the game's over it's, it's a long time as a specialist and to have to be locked in for that whole time i struggled with that personally and so I was one when we were on defense, I was able to check out a little bit, you know, kind of enjoy the game, enjoy what was going on. Our student section was pretty rowdy. We did the wave in our stadium. I enjoyed that. We sang Build Me Up Buttercup. You know, like, so there's ways that, like, if it was a TV timeout, it's okay to, to check out for a little bit, enjoy the atmosphere, enjoy game day, enjoy college football. But when it came time to perform, when it came time that, you know, we were in scoring range or, you know, whether it was for a hold or, or for a punt, uh, making sure that I was locked in, making sure for our guys too, I, I do have them do the same thing, have a plan, write it out from first down, from the time our offense takes the field, what are we doing? And, and maybe some guys, they might need more reps than others. They might need kicks and then that, um, and that's okay. It can be different, but have a plan, You know, make it your own and own it. And, and from there, then we can tweak it if it's not working. Yeah, no, that's a very similar operation. Uh, I think it also helps when the specials have a good relationship with each other as a group then they talk to each other on the sideline. And if you're not able to be there all the time, then they can work through it as a group themselves on each other. Like our group at Missouri, they're very keen on watching each other's technique when they have the rep during the game or getting each other with each other on the sideline. 
you know, getting reps. Uh, some guys are feel like they, you know, get stiff, even if it's not, if it, let's say defense is out in the field, they still need to get a punt or a kick or leg swings or a snap if, just to loosen up. And if it's a long game and they're not getting used very much, if we're not, if we punted once and it's the fourth quarter and we didn't, and we punted in the first quarter, they'll still get a snap. And, you know, if it's a slow game or a fast game, just, however they're feeling, but I think a relationship between the group will also help, uh, you know, keeping each other on task during the game focused. Yeah, I, I can kind of speak on that because our situation is really unique this year from a field goal standpoint. We were in fall camp and our starting kicker tore his ACL practicing a fake. And then our backup kicker, about the fourth game of the year, went in to make a tackle on kickoff because he's one of those meathead guys that if he doesn't hit a touchback, he wants to make the tackle. And I tried to talk him out of that saying, hey, we already are down one kicker on the year. And we went in with, with two we felt really good about, a third that was kind of a combo guy that was our backup punter at the time. And so he ran in there late trying to get in on a tackle and got a knee to the side and he was out for five weeks um, with a deep bruise. And so we were on our third string kicker who had been the backup punter to start the year. And so now we're essentially down. We had two punters going in with three kickers with a guy that, you know, could go either way. And now we're down to two players that were active for the rest of the season. And so it wasn't necessarily COVID related, but um, so making sure guys are cross training, that they're capable to do multiple things. I know we've also had um, some guys that we've recruited as walk-ons that play other positions, but also have experience with long snapping when it comes to like a snapping situation. So having guys you know, that add value in other areas, especially as a, as a walk-on. Now, you don't always want to have to lead on all your walk-ons, but that's a huge area where, as coaches, we can take advantage of that and say, okay, we're evaluating two walk-on players that might be a linebacker or one's a D-line or a tight end. Well, guess what? If one of them has snapped in the past, too, that adds more value to our program. We want to bring that guy in. Um, because, you know, ideally, as a special teams guy, we're not going to be able to have five, six long snappers, five, six kickers, five, six punters on roster. And so... Um, I know for us, we shoot for three at each spot. So they have nine guys. Um, that's kind of what we're limited to. And so from there, how can we maximize those other positions, guys that might have done things in the past, and how can they add value? Cody, ought to be the most uh, unfortunate start to a coaching career for sure. What we do, especially when I was at Rice, it seemed like most of our long snappers were position players just because you don't have a lot of guys, you know, I don't know, specialists for some reason, that's just the setup. But yeah, just having guys in a different position, even Virginia Tech, we had a linebacker, walk-on guy, and I would just get with them after practice, you know, five or 10 minutes, maybe once or twice each week and just work on some fundamentals with them just so we could have somebody, right, that's not in that room just in case, right, the COVID broke out and these snappers all live together having another position group. That's a crappy, crappy situation. I have a long snapping expert, so I want Chris to get in on this because I don't have any long snapping. Guys, uh, Chris Rubio of Rubio Long Snapping. I'll be speaking at 730 in room 215 across the way, so make sure you get all that information as well. Um, if you had three long snappers, my God, that's bad luck uh, for all of them to go down. First thing I would do is I'd try to find the four-string quarterback because long snapper is just an upside-down quarterback that's going the wrong way. That would be your best bet just to get through the day. Um, after that, I would honestly, you're going to hate me for this, I would try to find the most athletic kid that you have that can throw a football that's not a starter because he's at least going to be able to get it back there. The last thing I would do, if, I mean, say you have, you're down to the four-string guy. Here's, here's the four things that I look for in a long snapper. Big butt, huge head, like physically large, long arms, and a little bit dumb. 
They're the best, okay? If you have one of those guys on your team, because the big butt, obviously, for balance, the head, for leverage, long arms, obviously, and little bit dummy's just not gonna have the ability to overthink, where a smart kid will come in and immediately piss his pants, because like, oh my God, I gotta do this, where the dumb kid's just gonna be like, okay, let's go. And so that's basically, not to cut you guys off, but <laughs> sorry about that. No, we just ended up quick kicking. Yeah, I mean, four, four string guy, you, you're, God, God love you. Starting quarterback and then they'll get a special teams player of the week and they'll be season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, when I was in high school, uh, we actually had a DB that had to snap for me when I was punting and he was our starting safety and you know there was one of them that went over my head, but all the others were, were pretty good. Uh it, he would naturally throw the ball. He could do that pretty well, so that kind of worked out for us. I mean, I know we utilize the spring for that. So we'll take, I mean, 15 practices in the spring when you're not playing a game is ridiculous, personally. But we will sit there and usually it's about halfway through the monotony of spring ball. And for both special teams periods, we're like, okay, who wants to be a kicker? And you'll get, oh, like, I actually found, like if that were to happen to us this past season, our emergency punter was our starting left tackle. Like we just, like he had knee braces on and the dude could blast the ball. It wasn't a spiral, but it would go 50 yards, four or five and just freaking go. And we're like, holy cow. Our third string quarterback could snap a foot. He was honestly probably better than our starting snapper, um, but he was a quarterback. So just being able in spring to take a practice and just work the guys that are gonna be there. Like you're gonna take 15, 14 offensive linemen are there one or two that could snap in an emergency? Okay, these two can't. Good. They're going to travel. We can have that. You're going to take three quarterbacks, maybe more, four or five. Can any of them snap? Can any of them punt? You might have a DB or wide receiver that did it in high school. And I mean, you'll be surprised um, who can do it. And it doesn't have to look the part because that's not what they are. They're a stock gap. They're trying to get you out of a game. And honestly, I started doing that probably – 2006, 2007, because when I was at Texas Tech, um, we had a punt returner, Wes Walker, um, went to the uh, Dolphins. And he punted, kicked, did all that stuff in high school. And I'm there watching the game. The starting kicker pulled a groin or blew a hamstring in pregame. And he ended up uh, having a punt return for a touchdown. He kicked an extra point. He kicked off and um, had a receiving touchdown all in the same game for the Dolphins. And at that point, I was like, oh, okay. And I was talked to him because he came back in the spring. I was like, dude, what? And he's like, yeah, they just asked us one day in practice who's ever done it. And I said, well, I did it in high school. And I was like, oh, okay, that's actually a good idea. So ever since that moment for Wes and all that, every spring, we take one practice and it's open seat and they love it. I mean, like our linemen, D linemen, like, it's like a fun thing to do and breaks up monotony, but you'll be surprised who you'll find that can kick, punt, snap um, in spring just to take a practice like, and just find it. Just have beer next time. Yeah. <laughs> no, man, and big – I want to say thank you to all you guys because, honestly, this, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. <laughs> I just had a thought and uh, I was thinking about beer and 
I talked to Tim McGrath, who's you know kind of a, a moral compass for me. If y'all don't know Tim, Tim's over here. He's uh, he was at uh, Georgia Tech where we connected, and then uh, most recently at Texas Tech. And he's like, you know, James, I think the guys like they're gonna have plenty of beer, even if we like do something. Like, how about you like create some value? So thanks to Tim for kind of being my my guide, but thanks to you guys for coming because like I was really nervous about this, had no idea how to do it, but you guys showed up, you guys made it happen, and, and this was really really cool. So. Um, I'm really thankful and you know, the, like I said, I think I, maybe I forgot to say it, like I said, cause it's my first time. The whole mission here is to advance kickers, right? And that's what you guys did. And so big thanks to all of y'all.